Man, last week we kicked off our series in the book of Acts. I'm so excited about this. So we just wrapped up a series in Daniel, and then before that in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and it's just, it's so, it's such, such a blessing as a communicator to just get to open up the Word of God each week and go, where are we going? And read and study and, and, and invest in that. And then come here on Sunday morning and get to share that with you. And, and I hope that you look forward to it. We're going to be going through the book of Acts for 2020. I don't know when we're going to finish it. I hope that doesn't bore you. Anybody going to get bored with that? Okay, good. Because it's, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing uh, example for us as we look at the church and how God started something pretty miraculous. Jesus, as Pastor Taylor was telling us last week, uh, the book of Acts is really, a, it's part two of a two-part series. Book one is the book of Luke, and then book two is Acts. So we got, we got the book of Luke that just talks about what Jesus began, and then the book of Acts picks up and says what Jesus continued. So he talked about sequels, and we had to ask the question, what kind of sequel are we? Because Acts has 28 chapters, and then it ends, and then the church launches out of that. And we, even though we're thousands of years later, we're still a part of that same movement. We're still telling the same story 2,000 years later. We still have an opportunity in our community to be the demonstration that the church was to that time. And so I asked, we are asked, what kind of sequel are we? Are we telling the same story? Are we telling a different story? We're called to continue that story. You know, I think of sequels, and, and Taylor talked about a bunch of them last week, but I think of sequels on one of my favorites that's got a multi-part multi is the Lord of the Rings. Any other Lord of the Rings fans out there? All right, Lord of the Rings. What's so great about Lord of the Rings and what makes it such a powerful story is it's really not three stories or six stories. It's one story with these parts. And so when I think of being a sequel, I don't think of like, it's, we're not telling a different story. We're like another part of the same story. We've been called and we've been invited and we've been uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and tell the same story. It just moves the story into our time, into our community. And, and Paul actually said, we, we fill up what's lacking in Christ's suffering because we demonstrate it. It's not lacking in the sense that it didn't accomplish the work. But to this community, to those who don't know who he is, we get to actually participate in showing him and telling them who Jesus is. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. That's what we're called to do, to be that kind of sequel. But it's very tempting, and it's always been tempting for the church to tell a different story. It's always been tempting. There's always been a temptation for followers of Jesus to want to tell a different story. There is. Look at, look at what happens in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus is still with them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you hear what they wanted the story to be? They wanted the story to be, now that Jesus has died and he's risen, now's the time that he's going to come and he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. They've been hanging out with Jesus and they thought that that's what was going to happen, that he's going to come and he's going to restore them to power, that they're going to overthrow the government that's been oppressing them, and that they're going to reign as they felt God had called them and ordained them to do. 
that's, what, that's the story that they wanted. Even after they saw Jesus suffer and die and tell them again and again, I'm going to do this, they still wanted it. So when he rose from the dead, they're just like, yes, here we go again. And he tells them, no, that's not the story that you're going to tell. You're going to continue the story that I told you, the story of humility and meekness and servanthood and suffering. And you're going to go and demonstrate it to the world, and you're going to tell them about the resurrection. And you're going to tell them that this life isn't all that there is. And you're going to demonstrate the power of God. And you're going to teach them all the things that I taught you. And there's this part of them that goes, but we want to tell, we want to tell a different story. We want to tell a story of, of now we're more than conquerors and we don't ever suffer anymore. We don't struggle anymore. If you just have faith, you won't hurt anymore. And Jesus is saying, if you have faith, you'll be with me forever. And that's the story we get to tell. And sometimes it'd be nice if we got to tell a story that, that you'll never feel pain again. But in this life, you're still going to struggle. Jesus told them that. In this life, you will have trials. But fear not. Fear not. Because there's another sequel that's coming. And we talk about this all the time. There's another sequel that's coming. And it's going to be the final chapter. And that's where Jesus comes back again. And at that point, all the promises are ours. So we have to be careful not to tell a different story. And I, I, I think this is going to touch a few nerves. So Holy Spirit, guide my words. <laughs> you know, as I, as I I've recently re-engaged in the social media world, some of you might have noticed that, and, and there's this temptation, Christ followers, to get caught up in telling a different kind of story um, and to get caught up in, in all kinds of things and get your hopes and your devotion devoted to these different kinds of things. And I just say, be careful. Be careful that you're not telling the wrong story. Okay? And I'm not saying don't have your opinions. I'm not saying don't talk about them. But just be careful. What are you investing in? What are you most devoted to? Okay? We trust in Jesus. And he didn't come set up a political kingdom. He came to set up a kingdom in our hearts. And your primary identity is not an American. It's a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus. So don't forget it. Whatever you say. All right, there, off my soapbox. Back down. <laughs> so I get that concern, and I look around, and I see what people are posting. And it's none of you guys, so good job. <laughs> At least I don't think, I haven't seen it yet. So but we don't want to be a stumbling block to the gospel. It doesn't mean we won't speak truth, but make sure that truth is scriptural truth and not your opinion. Right. We want to tell the same story. What did Jesus do? That's our objective. That's what I'm called to encourage you to do this morning, to be a part of that. When Jesus left, he told his disciples to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus rose from the dead and he hangs out with these guys for like 40 days, he hangs out with them, and he comes into them, and he, and he continues to show them these scars, these wounds. Because even if I had seen him once, I, I would want to see him again. <laughs> Just my little skeptical brain. I'd be like, was that a dream? <laughs> or did he really rise from the dead? And so he came, and he showed them over and over again. I'm still here. I'm untouched by death. Okay? So he, he's going to leave them again. And... If you're a believer and you're trusting Jesus and you're a follower of him at the time, that would have been the most traumatic thing that could have possibly happened. You'd just seen him die, execution, 
of the most painful type. And he's risen again, and there's all this hope and this joy. And then he's telling you, I got to go. And you're like, I mean, can you feel that? Can you feel that just like, you're going? And he says, but don't be afraid because I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send a helper to you. And at this point, they're trusting him, right? At this point, they've seen him die and rise again. So even though there's this, there's this weightiness that he's leaving, there's this joy knowing he's not going to leave us abandoned. So he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Because I'm going to send you, I'm not just going to be with you, I'm going to send you my power. I'm going to send you my spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, that you'll be my witnesses. So the work that I've been doing and, and telling about the kingdom of God, I'm going to empower you to go and do it. I'm going to come and live inside you. And so they returned to Jerusalem, this is Acts 1.12, from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So they're going to travel a whole week to get home. They returned to Jerusalem to wait. And Luke says it in, at the end of Luke. He, he said that while they, this is what it says in Luke 24, 51 through 52. It says, while he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So though there might have been this moment of, he's leaving again. They are, they are fully trusting him. And there's great joy. So they're worshiping God. I'm imagining their, their caravan as they head back to Jerusalem, just going, man, what is God going to do? What is Jesus doing? This is incredible. So they get back. Now, they, now they're waiting. Now they, they know that Jesus has done all that he said he would do. They, they hurt. They remember. After he rose again, they remember all the times that he predicted that. They, they understood it differently on the other side of resurrection. So they're trusting now. They're not doubting that this is good for them. They're not doubting that Jesus has the best for them. And even though this life is a struggle, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, listen to this, if you have not had solidified in your heart and mind that because of what Jesus has done, nothing in this life can touch your hope, your faith is still vulnerable. Let me say this. If you have not allowed the Holy Spirit to solidify in your heart that nothing in this life can touch your hope in Jesus, your faith is still vulnerable. It's from that place, like the apostles, when they saw Jesus rise from the dead, they knew it. They knew nothing, not even death, not even gruesome, brutal death, could touch their hope in Jesus. And it launched them into the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit, to come and to, to teach our spirits to trust in Him. To see Jesus crucified and resurrected for our sin knowing that what that means for us is that means that nothing in this life can touch our hope in Him. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. Not cancer, not sickness, not the death of a parent, not the death of a child, not loneliness, not brokenness, not sin, not shame. Nothing can touch our hope in Jesus. We have to have that solidified in our hearts. We're all going to tell a different story. And it may be subtle. It may be subtly different. We have to have that solidified in our hearts if we're going to tell the same story. That's why it speaks so powerfully of the goodness of the gospel when somebody who's going through immense suffering can say, I trust you. 
I know that I'm going to die. As we learned in James, I'm going to die and I can't take anything with me. I know it. And I'm going to look to you and I'm going to trust you, God. Because you, you rose for my life. You rose from the dead so that I could be with you. Do we trust it? Is it solidified? Because if you want to see the power of God take hold of your life and bring new hope and joy, fixate on the promise, promise of Romans 8. Romans 8.38. If it's not one of your favorite verses in the Bible, you probably haven't read it very many times. It's amazing. The promises. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. And when we fixate on that, it, it removes the power of the circumstances we face. And in this room this morning, we're facing all kinds of circumstances. Some have new babies, and it's all exciting. And others are struggling to get through a season of darkness and struggle. But we all come together around one hope. It's Jesus. It's the foundation that launches us into the work of the Holy Spirit of God. So they were waiting. Acts 1, 13-14 says, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Isn't that an awesome list? Like, I think about this group of people. It's like, man, can you imagine being in that room? You go back in time to know what transpired out of these lives transformed by the gospel, having met Jesus resurrected, empowered by the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to be gathering together tonight for an hour. <laughs> Not quite the same thing, but it's a start. My hope is that although we're here for only one hour, the, un the unity that we have is more than an hour. Okay, so it talks about them being together in one accord. It's not a car. Sorry, had to throw that joke in there. I have an accord. You guys, I don't think you're all going to fit. <laughs> think about this moment. This, there's this uniqueness to this. As the church waits, they wait. They've seen Jesus rise from the dead, and they're waiting. It's amazing. It's such a cool story. As they wait. Nearly every Christ follower in the world is in one room at the time. Can you imagine that? Like, that just gives me goosebumps. And that, to me, that's one of the best pictures of heaven that I get. It's like everybody who trusted in Jesus all together. It's cool because I, I got to spend a year in Argentina, and I have friends all over the world today. And I don't get to see them. But you know what? We're in one accord. We're in unity. And that's what's so amazing about the church of Jesus. And we may live in a community where we don't see diversity like other communities do. And we have to work harder to trust and to understand the power of the gospel that it brings us together across all divides. It's the only thing that can do that. We need that. We need that diversity. It demonstrates the power of the gospel. That we're not saved because we're good. We're not saved because of birth. We're not saved for any reason other than the fact that Jesus has done the work. We need that kind of diversity to live in diversity but in unity. In the power of the Holy Spirit. So here they are. They're all sitting, sitting there. It's Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Brother Bart and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot 
I like that they throw that nickname in there. The son of James, or Judas the son of James, because we want to not get confused with the other Judas. We're going to talk about the other Judas in just a minute. They're all together, as well as the women that Jesus had touched. And Mary, his mother. And catch who else is there? Jesus' brothers. To me, that's one of the greatest signs that the resurrection actually happened. Because after that, Jesus' brothers started worshiping him as, worshiping him as God. <laughs> and if you grew up with someone, you don't worship them as God unless they're God. Like, I cannot convince my brothers that I'm God. <clears throat> it's not happening. Jesus' brothers are there. They're with the disciples. If anybody had any questions about Jesus' upbringing, they're there. Mary's there. It's incredible. They're worshiping and praying together in one accord. Here's a fact. Faith is personal, but it isn't meant to be private. It's not meant to be lived in isolation. In fact, it cannot be lived in isolation. Unless it's forced isolation because you're in prison and you're in solitary confinement because you've been preaching the gospel. That would be an isolation moment that I think would be gospel-ordained. <laughs> like I think of Paul, right? Some of his faith journey was lived as physically in isolation, but can I tell you what? He was in one accord. He was in unity. He was constantly seeking and praying for the church and his brothers that were out there, his brothers and sisters who were declaring the gospel. He prayed for them continually, it says. So for those who trust in Jesus, even if you're life feels isolated, you're united. And for some of us in our, in our culture, we live in a culture that got, we got more ways to connect, but it seems like it's harder and harder to connect. So we have to work at it. That's why we're going to come together tonight and pray. It's a, it's a physical sign that we're together in prayer. We're going to come into this room and we're going to spend just, just an hour praying. It's why we encourage groups. <laughs> you hear us talk about that a lot groups. It's, it's, it's for us to join together. You may not feel like you need other people, but you do. You do. Because faith is personal, but it isn't private. It isn't isolated. It's unifying. That means we can be of one accord, whether you're rooting for the Packers or the Seahawks today, <laughs> or the Niners. <laughs> one accord. <laughs> it's why, to me, it's so devastating when you see divisions in the church. It's so devastating when I get on Facebook and I see people who I know are brothers arguing with each other. Okay. We're to tell a different story, church. Scripture says that they're to know we're his disciples by our love for one another. And there's so many things that want to sneak in there and take that first place in our hearts. And we have to continually force ourselves to tell the story. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that alone unites us. So here they are. They're all waiting. This is what it says in, in verse 15 through 20. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the, scriptures, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, this is the other Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong and burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. 
And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called to their own language, Akalmedia, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Okay, this is important. How many of you wonder what happened to Judas after he betrayed Jesus? It's not written down in the Gospels. It's written down in the book of Acts. As Luke carries on the story, he's going to tell this story about this group of people. It's important that they deal with this. Because this group, was, not just Jesus was betrayed. This group was betrayed. And now all of them, in one way or another, denied Christ. Peter, who's the one who's getting up to talk about this, we know his story. He told a 13-year-old girl, I don't know how old she was, but some little girl that he didn't know Jesus. Okay? But they have to deal with this. This pain. He was one of them. It says he was counted among them, and he had his share of this ministry. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody who you trusted, who you walked side by side with? Maybe another Christian. Do you know that a lot of people struggle with their faith because they've been betrayed by a brother or a sister in Christ? How do the disciples respond to this? Where do they look? They look to Scripture. They look and they go, God had a plan. He's not taken by surprise by Judas. It's foretold. And so they look to Scripture and they see it. In this case, literally, they see this unfolding about this man that he would become, that his property would become desolate. And it's not just them dealing with this grief, but it's also teaching them about what happens if you turn your back on God. The physical death that, G, that Judas, that he experienced, is a demonstration of what happens to us spiritually if we turn our back on God. To the disciples, to the apostles, this was a reminder. After having seen what they've seen, to tell a different story, to lie about who Jesus was, and then death. And so they, they deal with this. And at this point, they've seen Jesus resurrected. And they're not going back. None of them are. They're not going back. It says in Acts 1.21, So one of the men who had have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Eustace, and, Matthi and Matth Matthias, excuse me. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to, Math to Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. This is a really interesting moment. One of which is the fact that they're like gambling to find out who's going to take his place. Okay? So there, it's been foretold by David in the Psalms that this position that Judas held 
would be filled by another. Let another take his place. And that's why they're doing this. There's 120 people in the room that are witnesses. They're all going to be called to tell this story, not just 12, but this specific office of apostle to fill the role. And can I say that maybe, is it, no, they're not. Is it fitting that there were 12? Sorry. Can't help it, it's in there. <laughs> so they're looking for this person that's going to fulfill the prophecy to take over for Judas. And they they come to this, I mean, there's a room full of these men. It tells you that there were those that stayed faithful, not just the 12 apostles, that followed, that, were, that went along with everything that Jesus did. They followed, they listened, they learned. They were with him when he, when he taught. They were with him when he performed miracles. They were with him when he calmed, when he, you know, he, they heard it all. They saw it all. They were with him when he rose again. And so there's a short list of those that were with him from the time that John baptized them to the time that he left. So there's two men that we see here. How do you make a decision? How would we do it? We're, we're, we're part of a democracy. So what would we do? We'd vote problem with voting is maybe somebody likes this guy better and this guy and then you end up with a whole mess right there's politics and there's people taking sides and when you have two great choices that both fulfill this this is a way to answer this question without getting into all that and so they pray and they're not just gonna they're not just gonna cast lots they're gonna pray and ask God you know what we don't do with scripture we don't take stories like this and make them rules, right? If you, if you did that, you could take this story and go, all my decisions, I need to cast lots. Another way we'd do that, we'd flip a coin, right? Every decision I come to, I'm going to flip a coin. I'm going to pray and flip a coin. How many of you do that? No, that's essentially what they're doing in this scenario. But we don't take a story like this and make it a rule, when we, when we read scripture and we see something that's describing something that happened, if we start making that into a prescription, we get into danger. So we wouldn't do that with this, but sometimes people do this with other things. They'll read a narrative, a part of a story, and they'll say, this is the way it must be. And this is how like different branches of the church start. Instead of listening to what, the, what is commanded, we take things that happen and we make them rules. We don't do that with flipping a coin. Although, isn't there a character in the Batman story that that's what he does? Anyway, sorry. That just came to me. One of the sequels. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Two-Face. Yeah, he literally flips a coin to make every decision. That's not what we're told to do here. But in this case, there's not a wrong choice. So they're going to trust God that, that he's going to put the person in there. And you know what? The other characters in that room are going to be called too, and they're going to be filled too, and they're going to go out, and they're going to be witnesses too. But Matthias, he takes this role. He takes Judas's spot. There's another thing that we learn here. This is important for us, even today. I think it's especially important for those who are actively engaged in ministry, which all of us should be at some level. Okay? God chooses us but we are not irreplaceable. God chooses you. He's chosen you to be a part of his family. And even more than that, if that's it, 
then that's a pretty sad calling. He's called you to participate in the mission of God somewhere in everything to participate. And he calls us, he's chosen us, not because we're special, but because of his will. He's chosen you to be a part of this family, but we are not irreplaceable. The second we start to feel that way, it's a really bad deal. That's called pride. Like, to feel like somehow I'm so significant to the plan of God that if I were to go away, things would fall apart. Do you know that it doesn't usually work that way? It never works that way. And if it does, that means that it wasn't built by God. It was built by man. It was built by scheming. So we see this happen. Judas betrays them, and out of it comes good. Out of it comes the fulfillment of prophecy. Out of it comes the resurrection of Jesus. So God chooses us. We are not irreplaceable. If that makes you feel like, oh, then I don't really need to do anything because somebody else can do it, <laughs> you're getting the wrong lesson. <laughs> it's, it's humbling. It's, it's an act of surrender to be a part of the plan of God. That we say, God, use me wherever you want to use me. I'm going to trust you to call me, to put me in these positions. And you may not be actively doing that on a daily basis, and I pray that you do. But can I tell you, God, he's using you right now. He's using you to point others to Jesus. What kind of example are you being? We are invited to actively seek to participate with God. Not because we're good, not because we're irreplaceable. It's not pride to want to be a part of that. But to believe that in some way you become irreplaceable, that would be a problem. And I've been a part of churches where leadership kind of gives off that vibe. And Jesus talked about that. Don't, when you're in leadership, don't lord it over people. That's what the Gentiles do. But you be servant of all. You love everyone. You treat others as if they're more significant than you. Jesus demonstrated that. And, it, and it, it's part of the calling. That we get to go and we get to diminish. <laughs> as John the Baptist said, he said, let me diminish that he might increase. Let, let me decrease that he might increase. If that hurts your ego, we have a problem. <laughs> It's a blessing to be a part of this family. And I, and I pray that it humbles me and I pray that it humbles you to know that God has called you. And if you're here this morning and you're not trusting him with all your life, he's knocking on the door. He's saying, I rose for you. I died for you. Trust me. Trust me. Because there's a lot of other things that we can be devoted to in this life. And I think this time of year with football, it's a great example of that. Talk to somebody whose life and enjoy hang on the outcome of a 20-something-year-old playing with the ball. It's depressing. Because today, whoever your favorite team is, one of the teams is losing. Okay, that's just a silly example. But people seriously devote their entire lives to being a fan. What are we devoted to? Is it career? Is it success? Is it to material things? Is it to being a good parent? Is it to our kids? You want to know another way to get depressed? 
Put your devotion in your kids. Because you can't guarantee they're going to turn out the way you want them to. You can't guarantee that they're going to be healthy. You can't guarantee anything. But if you can put your trust and devotion in Jesus, you can get through it. And if you can teach them that, and, and then pray. It's an act of faith. We're called to be a part of that and to tell the story. To put our hope and our devotion into Jesus. And this group of people, as we're going to continue in the book of Acts, they weren't just devoted. They were, the word I love is obsessed. It was an obsession. Because they realized once you've been fully impacted by that, nothing else, nothing else can fill the tank like Jesus can. Nothing else can bring joy in the midst of heartache like Jesus can. Nothing else can allow you to look into someone's eyes who's going through pain and go, I've been there. And Jesus is enough. And it brings meaning to those things. Because we see that this life is not all that there is. And we have this proof that he rose from the dead. And he came back to tell us the story and to send us out to tell the story. Are you willing to join the sequel? Or do you want to tell a different story? So what more could you ask for in this life than the purpose of God? What more could you ask for? And he's, he's inviting us to be a part of it. But he doesn't just, here's the thing, church. Here's the thing in Western church is we come to church oftentimes for a little piece of God. We come because it, it's a part of our social construct. We come because it makes us feel better. And Jesus is saying, that's not going to cut it. He's saying, come to me and let me be your life. If you're coming to me for another reason, you're not really coming to me. He's saying, come to me, let me be your life. Let me be your purpose. Let me be your breath. Let me live through you. Let me be a demonstration through you to the world around you of the power of God and the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we come into this room and we say, and I ask you this, are you coming here to get a piece or are you coming to give the whole thing? As we kick off this year and we're going to be, as a church, we're going to be talking about this idea of being devoted. It starts in us, church. It starts in you and me. Am I devoted or am I just kind of wanting a part? And in our culture, there's a lot of people that just want a part. And that's enough. And here's something I know about God is he takes us where we're willing. And he's pleading, he's asking, he's, he's wanting more. Not because he needs you, but because it's best for you. And if you've been on the fence and you're just kind of coming along and you're just kind of... You're here, but you're not here. You're, you, you believe in Jesus, but you don't really have that desire to give him everything. He's patient. And I'm here today to ask you, will you say, yes, I'm all in? I want to be devoted. I don't want to be halfway.
don't miss it because you think you're holding out for a better offer because there ain't one. <laughs> There's not a better offer out there. So this morning as we close the gathering, that's our question. Are you hanging on and kind of halfway? Are you dabbling in? Are you coming because it feels good? Are you coming for even for the community element of it? Or are you coming because you want to give your life to Jesus and you want him to be everything to you? Today's, that, today's the day to answer that. And every day, every second, you, when you wake up in the morning, you say, Jesus, it's all yours today. That's my desire. I don't, I don't do that perfectly. I don't, and I want to. So I'm going to be coming tonight to pray, and I'm not coming just because I'm the pastor. I'm coming because I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to give him my life. And if you can't come tonight, or you're not coming tonight, you're not a second-class Christian. <laughs> okay? Don't, don't hear me wrong. <laughs> if you're going to go watch the Seahawks game and you're not coming tonight, I am calling you out a little bit, but... <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you're not trusting Jesus with your whole life. And I'm not just softening that so I don't alienate some of you. It doesn't work like that. Like, God's not fooled by if you show up, then all of a sudden he's like, oh, you're on my team, okay. And if you don't, you're not, okay. He knows our hearts. Can I tell you, if you're not coming tonight, are you united with us in prayer? Are you devoted to the gospel being the thing? Are you ready to be obsessed with me? Because it can be uncomfortable. It can get cliche. That's one of my biggest fears. <laughs> That's why, <laughs> anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready to say 2020 more than ever? And some of you, maybe in 2019, you made that prayer. Can I tell you what? It's okay to up it up, re-up it in 2020. You got to re-up every day. That Jesus would be life. That the Holy Spirit, as we're going to continue to study, would come and empower us. That we wouldn't just live our lives for our own sake, but for him. Would you pray with me this morning? And before we get into this, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask this question. Is there anybody in this room, for the first time, that's saying, I... I want to give my life to Jesus. And this isn't a rededication. This is me saying, I'm hearing this message and I, I've heard it before. I may not have heard it before. But I want the purpose of God in my life and I want to trust in Jesus. Would you just raise your hand this morning? this room you're going he's got my heart but I've been distracted or I've been pulled in other directions I've been neglecting him or I've been neglecting the story and you're saying this morning with all of us that are raising our hands I want to be devoted to this story I want to be devoted not just to a story, but to Jesus. I want him to have my entire life, whatever that looks like. And when I fail, I want to turn back to him. Can, can I tell you something, church? 
You know that when we fail, we get to tell the story as well. That's part of the story. When we hide our failures, we tell a lie. When we acknowledge our failures and repent, we actually increase the goodness of God to people. So I'm not asking you to be perfect, but if you're here and you're saying, 2020, today, right now, I want to give my whole life to Jesus and to his purposes, would you raise your hand? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are patient with us. And even when we fail, you call us and you've given us grace upon grace upon grace. And every day it says your mercies are new. And as we seek to follow you, the closer we get to you, the more we realize we don't follow you like we should. And so I pray that you would remove shame and you'd remove guilt from those who are earnestly seeking you. And God, for those who are on the fence questioning or or maybe that's just too busy right now, for them to make that commitment. I pray, God, that you would, you would help us to realize the calling that you have for us right in the middle of our busyness, the calling that you have for us right in the middle of sleepless nights, the calling you have for us in the middle of the struggle, that we could tell a better story. And it's not just a cliche. It's the power of God that you came and you lived a life that we can't live and you died the death that we should die and then you rose again to show us that this life isn't all there is and that you called us to eternal life with you and to tell this story every breath I pray for those who've raised their hand this morning that it wouldn't just be a symbolic hand gesture but that it would be a heart turning to you trusting in you following you with everything because you alone are the author and perfecter of our faith and the creator of all things and that you have called us you have chosen us to be a part of this family. Would you help us to be an encouragement to others and to point them to you? In the midst of a culture that there's there's those that are out there that are, that are saying they're Christian and they're telling a different story, give us grace so that we don't start fights, but that we continue to just simply call out an obsession with the gospel of Jesus, that it would make a difference in our culture would see who those are that are genuinely following you. Let us be amongst that group. We thank you for it. Would you cause us to worship with joy as the disciples and apostles did as they marched to Jerusalem to wait? Because we trust you. Our lives are solidified in what you've done and there's nothing in this life that can touch it. Nothing. We declare that and we believe it and we need your to believe it more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning as we close the gathering, we're going to come forward and receive communion. And this is a symbol for us. It's a symbol. It represents Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us that purchase our salvation, our freedom from the circumstances of this life, from the shame and brokenness in order that we can live with him. So we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to come forward. You can just go out this aisle on the sides and come down and then go up the middle aisle. It, it works better. And go back to your seat. And as a family or individually, thank him. Pray together. And even if you're doing it on your own, you're not. All across the world this morning, believers are partaking in this sacrament, trusting in Jesus declaring he's enough, declaring we're all in. And we're united 
all across the world. Don't take that for granted, even in this room. Amen. Amen. And then join us in worship. Sing. Sing about Jesus, our Messiah. Would you come forward this morning?